Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of Trisha Lynn Reitler. So grab your fire department coffee and let's dive in. This episode is a case suggestion from Jennifer S. I do want to just kind of give a little announcement here at the beginning. This episode's going to be a little different than some of ours that we've done in the past. The episode that Jennifer S. suggested is Trisha Lynn Reitler. However, I felt like I couldn't fully give you her entire story without telling you about the disappearance of two other women as well. So I'm going to go into all three of these people and their stories. Trisha Lynn Reitler was born in Ohio and was the oldest of four children. In 1993, she was 19 years old and was a freshman at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. She was studying psych at this time and living on campus in Bowman Hall. All teachers and her peers did describe her as a good student with a really high GPA, and she was really dedicated to her schoolwork. The evening of March 29th, 1993, Trisha was writing a term paper and decided that she needed to take a little bit of a break. So she was just going to walk down to the Marsh grocery store, which was about half a mile from the Indiana Wesleyan University campus. While she was at the grocery store, she brought a root beer and a magazine and then left the store and started walking back to campus. She never made it back to campus and was never seen or heard from again. Three days later, her jeans, shirt, and shoes were found in a field near Center Elementary School in Sable Pool, which this location that her body was found was located between the super the grocery store and the campus. So it was right on her walk home. Her jeans that were found were stained with what is believed to have been her blood. And police also found an earring on the sidewalk between the store and the campus as well. This earring also had some blood believed to have belonged to Trisha as well. Her body was never found. Um, The only thing that they ever found was the items of clothing and her earring. Investigators start looking into her disappearance, trying to see what could have happened to Trisha in that, you know, short walk home. And they found that about six or seven people were playing basketball on the school playground at the time of her disappearance, but they never were able to identify who was playing basketball and none of these people ever came forward, which I find interesting. Did they just like do a news release? Like if this was you, please come forward. Because maybe those people just never heard anything about it. I don't know exactly how they tried to figure out who these people were. It could have been that they did a news release, could have been in the newspaper. I don't know if they tried to reach out to the school, but it seems like it was probably a public playground and just anybody could be there playing basketball. It's unfortunate, but I do think it would be kind of hard to try and reach everyone because some people... I mean, don't watch the news or maybe wouldn't have even heard about it that much. I personally know some people who know very little about current events and things that are going on. So maybe it was just like an unlucky situation that those people just did not hear that they needed them to come forward. That Yeah, that's very possible. I mean, I, we've, we've seen that a lot. Are you thinking it was something like mischievous, like something underlying going on? 
I don't know. I I don't know exactly how old these people were. It, it didn't say if they ever figured out like an approximate age of these people. Because if it was like 12-year-old boys playing basketball, then probably not. But if it was like, you know, some 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds or something, or like even like late teens, I'd be like, maybe they did something weird or creepy. But I, I don't I don't really know that I have much to go off of. I just find it strange that they were never able to identify them because if they were a student at the school you'd think they could figure that out a little easier right yeah if those students i mean that's an easy way to reach them you just send out a mass email to everybody and i'm wondering if they did do that probably not an email form because it was 1993 but they probably did reach out to the school and ask if it was students i don't know i don't know the exact process that they went through Regardless of those individuals, detectives did come up with three separate suspects. The first suspect is Donald W. Greenier, and he was considered a suspect in her case because of some other crimes that he had committed. So in 1999, he was arrested and charged with the abduction and molestation of a girl in the Marion area. And they did search his house at this time for evidence connecting him to Trisha's case. They also searched his house for evidence connecting him to the disappearance of Wendy Felton, who went missing in 1987. Wendy and Trisha shared a lot of similar traits, and their disappearances seemed to have some similarities. So they kind of were thinking that specifically Donald was involved in both of their disappearances. They weren't, they didn't find anything when they searched his home and he ended up being cleared of having any involvement. He also always maintained his innocence. Because I mentioned Wendy, I am going to briefly explain her case a little bit and the similarities. So on June 4th, 1987, Wendy's sister was taking their parents to the airport for a business trip and Wendy was like, I'm just going to stay home instead of like going out with you guys. You can just take mom and dad to the airport. It's fine. Well, when she got home, when her sister got home about five o'clock at night, Wendy was nowhere to be found. Nothing of Wendy's was missing. Her purse was there. All of her clothing was there. Her shoes were there. And I didn't mention this, but Wendy was 16. So Abby, what was the first thing that the police thought? Um, I'm going to go with she ran away. Yes, they thought that she was a runaway. They believed that she left the house somewhere from 2 to 5 p.m. based on when her sister and family left to go to the airport and when her sister arrived home. Her case is still unsolved to this day. And now that she's been missing for such a long period of time, police have obviously shifted from thinking that it was a runaway to believing that she was taken. Like I said, Wendy was 16 years old. She was about 5'3 to 5'5", 115 pounds. She was wearing a gold watch, white shorts, and believed to have been wearing a red shirt. She was a Caucasian female with brown hair and brown eyes. She has a small scar on her right shoulder blade and wears contact lenses. Her ears are pierced and she's right-handed. And at the time of her disappearance, she had shoulder length hair. So those are the, the description of her. And that's pretty much all the information we really have on Wendy. But because of the timing and the location and just... The fact that it was so out of nowhere and the ages were kind of similar. I mean, Wendy's a little bit younger than Trisha. Police thought that there was definitely a connection. The next suspect the police had was Tony R. Searcy. So he was a criminal at this point. He had been arrested for so many things. He's always been considered a suspect in Trisha's case. 
there's not really a lot of information about him. He says that he never did it. He doesn't have any information regarding the case. And he was never arrested for the murder. The next suspect in this disappearance for Trisha is Larry Dwayne Hall. Now, this one I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. There's the most information about him and People put a lot more stock into the fact that he's probably the one that was involved with her disappearance. So I'm going to start back with Larry to give you guys kind of an idea of who this man is. So he was born December 11th, 1962 with his twin brother, Gary, in Wabash, Indiana. They lived their entire lives in Wabash, Indiana. And his father dug graves at Falls Cemetery in Wabash. And they would help him with digging graves. In 1968, Larry's going to school at this time. Um, He's about five to six years old during this year. And he is reported as very antisocial in school, has a very low IQ. And he has a speech impediment along with bedwetting. So he's teased quite a bit for it. As he gets older, so throughout his teen years and his 20s, he is suspected of committing arson, vandalism, and all kinds of different petty crimes. Over the years, he becomes a suspect in many cases. So there's Dean Marie Pyle Peters, who was 14, Deborah Jean Cole, who was 12, Jennifer Lee Schmidt, who was 19, Marcy Fuller Swinford, who's 21, Denise Diane Flume, who's 18. These are all people going missing in Indiana. Some from colleges, some from high schools, one from Purdue University, Kimberly M. Thompson, who's 25. We'll have a link in our sources if you want to go through and read everyone's names. There are so many and I, I'm not going to go into all of them. Um, so I don't want you, I don't want to sit here and read all of their names for you guys. Then in 1994, after the disappearance of Trisha, police do end up finding some evidence in his car that they thought was possibly related to Trisha's case. So in his car, they found maps, ether, photos, and newspaper articles. And what's, what is ether? Ether is like chloroform. It is a clear liquid made from alcohol. So it can be used to kidnap somebody because it will make them unconscious. Pretty suspicious to have in your vehicle along with newspaper articles and photos relating to somebody's kidnapping and potential murder. Yeah, I would agree. That's not really, um, that's not not your normal run-of-the-mill stuff you keep in your car, typically. Larry ends up getting arrested in December of 1994 and is charged with the abduction of Jessica Roach, another teenager who was murdered in Indiana in 1993. So I'm going to briefly tell you about her story. I don't have a lot of information about her, but I am going to tell you about her just because she goes along with his story. And this is the one where he's officially connected to her case. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So in September of 1993, she was 15 years old. 
and was riding her bike near her house in Illinois. And her sister ends up going out and sees her bike laying down on the road and runs home and tells her parents, like, something's wrong. Jessica's bike's just laying out there and I can't find Jessica. And her parents pretty much called the police immediately and she became a missing person. A few weeks later, her body was found in a cornfield near Perrysville, Indiana, and an autopsy result showed that she had been strangled to death. While Larry was connected to her murder and arrested for it, he was not able to officially be charged for her murder because they didn't have enough evidence for it. When the article that I was reading said that the reason, the lack of evidence was they didn't know where she'd been killed, and because they didn't have that piece, they couldn't officially charge him which i'm not sure i've heard of that before no i don't think i have either but i mean i think it's just they've got a lot of circumstantial stuff yeah they just needed more evidence while he was arrested and being in question about this he did sign a statement confessing to trisha's kidnapping and murder he later did recant his statement and did not get charged for it one thing that was noted was that everything that he said in his statement was pub- public knowledge. He didn't mention anything about Trisha's death that was kind of any new news. The one thing that he did mention that police did investigate because that's their job is he told them that he had buried her body near the Mississippi Reservoir. And so he takes police there on a search to find her body, but it ends up they don't find it. And so it's not sure we're not sure if he was just leading them on a wild goose chase or if he was actually telling the truth about the murder or about being involved with her disappearance. He did end up confessing to two other murders, Lori DePies and Paulette Webster. Um, Lori went missing from Wisconsin and Paulette went missing from Illinois. I am not going to go into their stories. Um, they, their stories are just very similar to all the other ones that I have told you about in this episode. There was also no specific evidence connecting him to either of those murders. However, police do believe that he has potentially killed 30 to 40 women in his time. Wow. Well, it sounds like he was moving around quite a bit too. So I'm that number doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me either necessarily. It's just really sad. Oh, yeah. And like I said, there will be the article on our site if you guys in our description if you guys want to read that and look at all of the names of people that he potentially was involved with they are all listed what they're all listed on it looks like it was a like an assignment maybe for radford university there were three people that put all this whole thing together which was kind of helpful and i it was online so they put this whole list together so i just want to let you guys know where that information is coming from at this time larry hall is in a psychiatric prison in north carolina and is serving a life sentence for a combination of things not for the murder of jessica roach but for the abduction of her and for a bunch of other crimes that he's committed over the years as of March 2019, Deputy Chief Stephen Dorsey did come out and say that they were reviewing some new DNA samples in the missing, in the disappearance case for Trisha Reitler. I could not find anything about if there's any information that's come out about that, if they've announced anything. Um, it could be something where obviously they're holding information back or maybe they don't have official results back and they're still kind of testing some stuff. So her description, at the time she went missing, she was 19 years old. She would be 47 years old now. At the time of her disappearance, she was between 5 foot 3 and 5 foot 5. 
105 pounds. She was wearing a silver ring, an Indian style leather strap necklace, and a watch with a large face that had Roman numerals on it. She's a Caucasian female with brown hair and blue eyes, and she had a small unfinished tattoo on her left ankle, and her ears are pierced. She is presumed to be deceased at this point, and her family pretty much believe that Larry Hall is the one that murdered her. And there's many, many other people that believe that he is the one that did it. Hopefully, someday we will get answers as to whether or not Larry did take Trisha's life, uh, along with all of the other people that he potentially took the lives of. If you have any information regarding Trisha's disappearance, you can contact either the Grant County Sheriff's Office at 765-662-9836 or the Marion Police Department at 765-662-9981. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.